it is not always to see, easy to see the war that rages around us. One of the things that I appreciate about Clay, our executive minister, is how fervently he prays. And as you notice, at the end of many of his prayers, he will ask that God give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to receive. And this is a good prayer because too often it's very easy to avoid seeing what is right before us. The reason is simple. There is a spiritual realm which overlays the physical realm that we see every single day. And not all of us can see the spiritual realm. In fact, oftentimes we need God himself to reveal it to us just as the mighty prophet Elisha prayed in 2 Kings chapter 6 for his servant's eyes to be opened to the spiritual realm so that he could see the heavenly host surrounding him. So too, we must ask for spiritual eyes to see, for it is the soul that sees using the eyes. It is the soul that hears using the ears. It is the soul that thinks using the brain. It is the soul that will receive. And so as we look to see I want you to have the spiritual eyes to see what is happening. And today, we're going to read a much more traditional Christmas text. Yes, last week was fun, and it started our series, Hark the Herald Angels See. For if we can get a heavenly perspective, if we can get an angel's eye perspective of what is going on in the physical realm, we will have greater understanding of what God is doing in the spiritual realm. If we can truly see. So what I would love for you to do is, if you're able, I know we've been up and down a little bit today, but would you stand for the reading of Scripture? I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2. You can follow along in your favorite translation or on the screen behind me. And I want you to look with spiritual eyes to see the spiritual realm at play. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judah, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. So was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, where he went And lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. That he would be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I wonder if you saw it. I wonder if you saw what was really, really going on. Or if you just saw what was on the surface. On the surface, there's a lot of things happening, and there are wise men that are coming. There are the magi who are there. There's Herod, who's bloodthirsty and eager for power, but there's far more going on. For you remember that in the spiritual realm, war is raging. And last week, as we talked about Revelation chapter 12, as one of my very favorite Christmas texts, we learned that there was a great sign that appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and stars on her crown, and another sign in heaven appeared also. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon its head. With its tail, it swept a third of the stars out of the sky, and it eagerly awaited what this woman carried, for she was pregnant and about to give birth. And so the dragon crouched and waited eager to devour the child the moment he was to be born. The woman gave birth to a child who is described as one who will rule the nations, all the nations, with an iron scepter. And then we get to verse 7. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but they were not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leaves, leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth. And his angels with him. The book of Revelation is an apocalyptic piece of literature. It is not a linear chronological description of what has or will happen. It is an apocalyptic cyclical understanding of what is happening within the spiritual realm. 
And the war which has raged in heaven, the war which rages between the forces of God, led by the created angel Michael, who spearheads the armies of the heavenly hosts, is waged against that ancient dragon or serpent or devil, Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And it has always been this way. We do not see the spiritual realm easily, but we must pay attention to it. For the war rages even today. The dragon seeks to make warfare against the offspring of the woman, and we must understand that we who follow the testimony of the Lord Jesus and continue the tradition of giving testimony to the Lord Jesus are part of that offspring, and the war is happening. The war is happening, but God will not condescend himself to fight the devil on the devil's turn. God would never do that because the devil is a created being. There are only three angels mentioned in all of scripture by name. One is Lucifer Morningstar. We know him as Satan or the devil. He was a cherub who thought he was a little too big for his britches and he wanted to be God and so he was kicked out of heaven as described in Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28 and even our Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 10 verse 18 says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the heavens. He lost his place in heaven and the chief architect that God used to bring about Satan's fall from heaven and his banishment to earth was another created being, Michael, the archangel. Michael is called the archangel. He's not just described in the book of Revelation, but in the book of Jude, the New Testament book, chapter one, verse nine rather, we read that the archangel Michael He's given this very particular title. When disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. When God wants to tussle with the devil, he doesn't do it himself. He sends Michael to do it. For if Jesus or God were to condescend himself so much to fight the devil on his terms, the devil would say, see, I'm worthy of equality with God. No, no, no. God sends another created being, the chief prince, the archangel Michael, to fight the devil. And when he disputes with the devil, he acknowledges his place. He doesn't even slander the devil. He says, the Lord rebuke you. For Michael's loyalty is absolute and he serves Yahweh Almighty in ways that Lucifer never ever could And this loyalty is very important to Yahweh, to Yahweh saves. For Michael, the archangel, was very prominent at the first advent of the Lord Jesus and will be very prominent at the second coming of the Lord Jesus. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, we learn that the Lord himself will come again from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise." The voice of the archangel will accompany Lord Jesus' return to earth. Yes, the archangel Michael is very involved because God wills it so. He's very involved. This idea of being the archangel means that he is the highest of all angels. He is the one who leads the heavenly host, the army of God. 
And it is not merely in the New Testament that Michael is referenced as the archangel and the one who disputes with the devil and fights with the devil and conquers the works of the devil. No, 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 no. He is also described very clearly in the Old Testament. For the other angel that is named in the Bible is Gabriel. We hear about him in the birth narrative of Jesus also, but hundreds of years before Jesus was born, there was another prominent young man from Israel, and his name was Daniel. When he was a young man in the year 586 BC, a terrible king from Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar marched on Jerusalem, besieged the city, and captured it, and took and exiled the best of Israel. Daniel was included Daniel was taken from his homeland. He was forced to work for the king of Babylon, and yet he worked his way up the ranks, and he became a very prominent leader in Babylon, but he never forgot his place in Israel. Well, after King Nebuchadnezzar died and after Darius died, there was a new king from Persia on his way to destroy Jerusalem. And Daniel, in his fervency, prayed to God, please, please preserve a remnant. Preserve a remnant of Israel so that we can go back to our homeland, so that your glory can be magnified, O Yahweh, God of gods. And God responded. He responded by sending an angel. And in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, that angel, Gabriel, says, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me. 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. See, there was a spiritual war raging. The same war that continues on. And words are used in code, the chief prince, the archangel, the prince of the Persian kingdom is a reference to the devil. Prince is a title given to the spiritual being who oversees a certain people group or land that will work in the spiritual realm. And God himself heard the cry of Daniel and sent Gabriel, but Gabriel was intercepted and delayed by the devil. For three weeks, it tells us in Daniel 9, that Daniel prayed and prayed and prayed, and he continued to pray until Gabriel showed up, but he was detained for 21 days, three weeks. It wasn't until Michael, the chief prince, came and tagged in and held back the work of the devil that Gabriel was able to go and deliver his message to Daniel. And Gabriel delivered a message about Israel's future, about the exact time of the coming of the Messiah and how the people would know that the Messiah was to come. And after delivering this message, he continued to explain to Daniel, soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. And in the book of truth is one of the most fantastic prophecies in all the Bible detailing the exact timing and the coming of the Messiah. Yes, Daniel knew when the Messiah would come. And Gabriel explained to Daniel that he has to go back and continue his fight with the devil. And not only is he 
the devil, the prince of Persia there, but the prince of Greece is about to join the fight and the only one who can help him overcome and succeed in this spiritual war is your prince, Michael. Michael is the prince over Israel. I know this because in Daniel chapter 12, that's exactly what Gabriel says. Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people and protects them will arise. Daniel had asked the angel Gabriel, when will all of this happen? When when will the Lord come and when will the Lord return? And we're told, at the end times, when the Lord returns, then Michael, that great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people and protects them will arise. That's because he's the archangel. And when the Lord comes, the call of God and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet sound of God blare out, we will know that the end has come. That was prophesied long before Yahweh saves ever became God with us. We knew that this would come. Daniel knew that this would come. And in fact, Michael is the guardian angel over Israel. Lots of people are fascinated with angels. And when we think about angels, we oftentimes think about them in terms of guardian angels. We had that awesome TV show when I was a kid, Touched by an Angel. And this idea of guardian angels is a really, really big deal. And in fact, in the first century time, the time that Jesus walked the earth, the Jewish people who believed in angels believed in guardian angels. I know this because in Acts chapter 12, when the Holy Spirit miraculously jailbreaks old Peter from the clink, and he goes and knocks on the door of the upper room, and Rhoda answers the door, and she says to the guys, hey, Peter's here. They say, nah, you're not, she's in jail. That must just be his angel. They thought that people had guardian angels who looked just like them. Fascinating stuff. And I understand why the idea of guardian angels would come about, but there is no biblical precedent for individuals having guardian angels, but there is biblical precedent for people groups having guardian angels. And Michael is the guardian angel over Israel. He is the great prince. The archangel is over the people of God, over Israel. And because of his work detaining the devil so that Gabriel could explain the exact timing of the coming of the Messiah, Daniel went back and he assumed his job once more as chief over the Magi of Babylon and he explained to them when the Messiah would come. Moves and counter moves. God makes moves. The devil seeks to counter. The devil makes moves and God seeks to counter. And now, with all this as a background, let us look once again to our text in Matthew chapter 2 and see the moves and the counter moves that are waged in the spiritual war before us. Matthew 2 verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. How would Magi in the east know that a new star indicated the King of the Jews? Because of Daniel, who was in charge of all the Magi in Babylon hundreds of years earlier, having received a message from the angels 
explained to his contemporary magi who passed the information down from magi generation to magi generation and now hundreds of years later, always keeping an eye to the stars, always keeping an eye to the astrological signs, looking, watching, awaiting, saw the star of the king and they knew now was time. Daniel explained it to them and that's how the magi knew And they went on their way and they followed that star and they knew that the child would be born in this region in Israel, but they did not know specifically where. And so they went to the current king of the Jews, who was actually a puppet king named Herod. The reason that Herod was king of the Jews is because the Roman government, who was the dominant government of the world at the time, needed a way to subdue the Jewish people. But they couldn't subdue the Jewish people religiously because the very first emperor of Rome, Caesar, in the year, Julius Caesar, in the year 63 BC, made a deal with the Jewish people. Julius Caesar was looking to consolidate power, but there were still some remnants of the Ptolemies down in Egypt that he had to snuff out. And so he went on his way, having defeated the Seleucids who were up in the Sumerian area, but he was running out of soldiers. And he went through that little land bridge called the Holy Land in Jerusalem. And he needed some new guys to join his army. And he said, hey, here's the deal. Israel, you join my army and help me snuff out the Ptolemies and I become Caesar or I just kill you all. But if you help me, I will give you and only you religiolictus status, which is Latin for legal religion. You see, every time that Rome took over a people group, they always consolidated power by letting them keep their religion, but infusing their religion with Caesar worship. You can worship your gods any way you want, but you also must worship us. Well, monotheism is a really big deal to the Jews. And they said, "Mm, the only way we help you is if, yeah, we get to do religion our own way. And Caesar said, yes, deal. You work for me and help me become all-powerful on earth, and I will never mess with your religious affairs. Politically, yes. Religiously, you guys do whatever you want. And they said, deal. And from the year 63 BC on, Rome never had control over Israel because it never had control over religion. So what Rome had to do was institute a false puppet, king of the Jews. His name was Herod the Great. He was a madman. He was a brilliant architect. He built all kinds of things. And one of the things that he built was animosity towards truth and God stuff. And so he did whatever Rome wanted him to do. And he didn't know the scriptures. So when the Magi said, hey, where is the one born in the king of the Jews? Verses 3 and 4 tell us, uh, we know that he was coming. Because they recognized from Daniel the word of the Lord from Numbers 17, or 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. They knew to follow the star because Daniel explained it, but they didn't know exactly where the star would lead them. And so King Herod was disturbed. Of course he was disturbed. When you are king and a new star announces the new king has been born, that means your reign is nearly through. So you only have one of two options. Make way for the king or get rid of the new king. 
And so he gathered the chief priests of the people, the teachers and the elders, and he said, where, where is this king to be born? He didn't know because he didn't care. He didn't care about God's stuff because he wasn't a true blue Jew. He was a Roman Jew. He didn't care about God's stuff or God's word. He cared about Rome and his own power. And so he had to ask the people who knew, and they said, in Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. This is Micah chapter five verses, or chapter two verses uh, two and five, and four rather. And so we recognize that this was the prophecy from Micah. And so Herod came up with a plan. But he didn't come up with that plan on his own. You know how that plan was devised, don't you? The devil whisper to him, you got to get these guys out of here. You got to figure out where this kid is born and you got to take care of it. And so Herod called the Magi secretly and found out for them the exact time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem, go and search carefully for the child and as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I may go and worship him too. He had no intention of worshiping him. He had every intention of devouring the child. Kind of like a giant red dragon standing in front of a cosmic woman about to give birth? Yeah. Moves and counter moves. After they'd heard the king, the wise men went on their way, the magi did, and they saw the star ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was, and they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They knew to worship him because they knew he was not just a regular king, he was Messiah. He was God in the flesh. He was God come to earth. He was Yahweh saves because Daniel explained to them the message of the angels. And they presented him with gifts fit for a king, gold and frankincense and myrrh, but not just any king, a suffering, dying Messiah king. Gold representing royalty, yes. Frankincense representing the perfume that would have to cover the stench of a dead body. And myrrh, the same kind of myrrh that was mixed with bitter wine and put on the hyssop tree and raised up to Jesus who hung upon the cross. These were not mere gifts. These were gifts indicative of the death that Jesus would die for our salvation. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Moves and counter moves. The devil gets Herod to say, go find out where he is and then come back and tell me so I can worship him too. How do you think they knew not to go back? Who do you think warned them in a dream? Well, there's only one group of people who warns human people what to do in a dream. Angels! Oh, I don't know, maybe the prince of Israel wanting to protect Israel in the flesh told the Magi, do not go back through Jerusalem. Take the long way around. And they did. And then that same prince of Israel, Michael, showed up to Joseph in a dream and said to him, get up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Who watches over the sons of Israel and protects them? The chief prince, Michael. And so Michael, the archangel, is this angel of the Lord who tells Joseph to hightail it out of here, to get to Egypt, to save the boy, moves and counter moves. 
And so he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And then was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea 11.1 says, out of Egypt I called my son. Of course, God had to call his son out of Egypt. He had to be the fulfillment of the perfect Passover lamb. And just as Israel was called out of Egypt, so too the ultimate Passover lamb must be called out of Egypt. And so for a time when he was young, Yahweh saves, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, moved to Egypt. To avoid the murderous king until he was called out of Egypt and back home to Israel. Well, this was a move and a counter move needed to be made. And Herod, having realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, was furious. Herod was not outwitted by the Magi. Herod was outwitted by Michael. Herod was outwitted by Gabriel. Herod was outwitted by the angels who told the Magi not to go back that way. The wise men were wise, but it was divine intervention that gave them the knowledge not to return to the king. But Herod doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. It's too easy this day and age when we look around and we see a Christmas tree to be distracted. It's too easy this day and age when we think about the jolly fat man to be distracted. It's too easy when we see our Amazon list or we go to the store to be distracted. Herod was a man easily distracted. It wasn't the promise of gifts under the Christmas tree. It was the promise of continued power gifted him by the Roman government that distracted him. And he was furious. And so, the devil on his shoulder convinced him to do something awful. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that they learned from the Magi. For the star had appeared and Herod said, as soon as it appeared, two years ago at this point, kill them all. Now, there was another murderous king who used to live in Egypt who killed all the boys two and younger, Pharaoh. And just as Moses was spared from this murderous king, so the Lord was spared from this murderous king. Instead of being called out of Egypt, he was sent into Egypt in order to be called out. Moves and counter moves. And so, what was fulfilled through the prophet Jeremiah was finally rendered A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel mourning for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is a quote from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. In the Hebrew, it reads this way. This is what Yahweh says. A voice in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And do you know when Jeremiah wrote this prophecy? Right after King Nebuchadnezzar had ransacked Jerusalem in the year 586 B.C., exiling a young man named Daniel. This prophecy was written about the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple thereof, and the exile of God's people. Rachel, representing the mother of Israel, is weeping for her children who are no more. This is out of Jeremiah 31. And yet the very next verse in Jeremiah 31 verse 16 says, this is what Yahweh says, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for your work will be rewarded, declares Yahweh. They will return from the land of the enemy. 
So there is hope for your descendants, declares Yahweh. Your children will return to their own land. Jeremiah knew it. Jeremiah prophesied it. And Yahweh delivered it. The weeping and mourning would be dried up. It would be dried up. They would get to come back. There would be hope once more. There would be hope once more because the move of the destruction of the temple and the exile of the people was met with the counter move of Daniel being placed in charge of all the Babylonian magi. Given the angel, angelic message, who hundreds of years later would send magi out to worship the king, fulfill the prophecy, and strike another blow against our adversary, Satan. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord, I wonder who the angel of the Lord in the New Testament, warning the son of Israel, who is Israel in the flesh, where to go, was. It was Michael. Warned, or told Joseph in a dream and said, Herod had died. Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he got there, he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod. And he was afraid to go there. Yeah, he was afraid of Archelaus. You see, when Herod the Great, that, that horrible, monstrous, psychotic king died, his kingdom was not given to one new puppet king. His kingdom was split into three. For his three sons, Herod Antipas, who becomes the Herod of the Gospels that Jesus tussles with, and his son Archelaus, who was in charge of Judea, and his son Philip, the Tetrarch, they were all given part of the Holy Land. And Archelaus was in charge of the area of Jerusalem. And after he assumed power, some of the Jews didn't like this because they thought he would be just as foolish as his dad. And so they wrote to Rome asking for him to be removed. And instead, Archelaus slaughtered 3,000 Jews. He's murderous and bloodthirsty, just like his dad. And so, of course, Joseph doesn't want to go to Jerusalem and so he gets another counter move, a message from the angel. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, where he lived in a town called Nazareth, and so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. The word for Nazarene is the same as the Hebrew word for branch, and Jesus is the offshoot of the, the branch of the shoot of Jesse. He's a Nazarene, a Nazarite in the same kind of way that Samson was a Nazarite, only he would not make the same mistakes as Samson. He is known as Jesus of Nazareth. He had to get to Nazareth, to northern Israel, where he'd be safe from Archelaus, where he could grow up under the cover of Nazareth, and he could become the Galilean miracle worker that we know as Jesus of Nazareth, who would turn this world upside down. And he would turn this world upside down, not merely by dazzling people with his marvelous works, but by fulfilling what else was said in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31.15 is about the weeping of Rachel and the taking and exile of the people. Jeremiah 31.16 is the promise of return, but you know what happens later in Jeremiah 31. Verse 31 says, The days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was like a husband to them, declares Yahweh. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares Yahweh. I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. The same language that is used in Revelation chapter 20. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The same new covenant that we celebrate every time we take communion that was prophesied in Jeremiah 31 is the same chapter that is used in the very birth narrative of the Lord Jesus. It is all connected. It is because of moves and counter moves and the angelic moves of Gabriel and Michael the archangel fighting against that great foe, the prince of Persia, taking the message to Daniel so that he could explain it to the Magi of whom he was now in charge, passing the message down for hundreds of years, directing the Magi, saving the child, sending him to Egypt, bringing him home, sparing him Archelaus, sparing him from from Herod, so that he could fulfill what was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 31, and 32 through 33. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Yahweh saves is the perfect fulfillment of that promise. The king who is worshipped by those magi accomplished this in a very particular way. How could he forgive sins and remove wickedness? Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14 explains it. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Yahweh saves God in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins taking away the indebtedness of our wickedness so that all of our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be with God, having his law written on our hearts, on our minds, so that he can be our God and we can be his people. No more will the works of the devil separate us. Jesus did not come to fight the devil. He came to destroy death and hell. Now, 1 John Chapter 3, verse 8 does tell us that Jesus and his coming destroyed the works of the devil, but Jesus never fights the devil. He would never bother because Jesus is God in the flesh. He sends Michael to fight the devil, but Jesus, who died on the cross, destroyed the work of the devil, our great adversary, the one who separates us by means of sin. No, that work was destroyed. And Jesus, having gone to hell and reclaiming the keys of death and Hades, stands and waits and will return. He will return with the clarion call of Michael the archangel, the glorious sound of the trumpet call of God and he will return. And so what sort of people ought we to be while we wait for God to return? Those who are ready, eager to do what is good. Never to do what is good to be right with God, but to do good because he prepared it for us to do because we have been saved by God. We ought to be people of faith who live in eager expectation of the Lord's second coming and the archangel's call announcing it. We ought to be people ready to do the work. We ought to be people who recognize that although we may be pawns in the spiritual game, we are pawns 
in a very important contest. Herod thought he was a king. He was nothing more than a pawn. The Magi thought they came to worship a king. They were actually being moved by the king of kings and his will to send the angels to tell them what to do. We too are players in this cosmic warfare. So what sort of people ought we to be? Those with eyes wide open, ready to do as God calls us. Would you stand with me as we pray?